0: Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, church. That last worship song reminded me of the words that Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman in John 4, that someday his people would worship together in spirit and in truth. And I was thinking about how that that promise was fulfilled as we were singing that song. And that promise is made possible because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate in baptism today. So we've already gotten to take part in that beautiful promise. So would you come before the Lord in prayer with me before we enter his word this morning? Jesus, it is only by your grace and your blood that we are able to say, thank God, we are free, free from sin, free from bondage, free to live in spirit and truth, and free to follow you in trust and knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. And would you open our hearts, would you open our minds, would you help us if we are tired, if we are weary, Lord, if we have dry bones, would your Holy Spirit come now and breathe the breath of life upon us afresh so that we would hear the word of the Lord and be made new. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as Mark said earlier, our vision for our church this year has been to think about um, serving in the places of calling and giftedness. And our sermon series has focused on the calling aspect of that vision statement. Thus far, we've talked about the definition of calling, to be summoned by God to his good purposes and for the praise of his glory. We've talked about how calling in the Bible is both big C callings, those callings that we all as Christians are called to, and little C callings, things that we are individually gifted to do or called because of opportunities or situations. And those things we have to kind of figure out, we have to discern um, together as his body. And then Brandon said that our calling begins with our call to salvation. And he used the example of Paul. And Paul reminds us that our call to salvation, to stand before the Lord, is not based upon our own merit, whether that be our CV, our abilities, our heritage, but it's based on the merit of Jesus's righteousness. And so therefore, when we stand before the cross, we are all equal. Uh, Before the Lord we are all sinners in need of a savior and we are reminded that God can call anybody to follow him What a great promise? And then John further talked about God's calling and how it gives us new identity. And we, thought, we talked about the story of Abram and how God changed his name to Abraham, took him out of his home, out of his culture, and gave him a new identity, Abraham, because he would be the father of God's called and chosen people. And John reminded us that before we get caught up in the doings of our calling, we have to remember that our calling is first to be uh, living in God's I, the new identity that God has given us. And he looked at 1 Peter 2, 9, that talks about us being God's chosen people, his worshipers as his, as his priests, and his treasured possession. And so this has been amazingly hopeful thus far, right? We've celebrated all of these promises of God. But I think each one of us knows that sometimes we really struggle with calling. So before we get going on our little sea callings, which I know we all have interest in and are eagerly awaiting, I wanted to pause today and talk about some of our struggles. And um, I was really inspired to talk about the struggles that we all face in our calling after getting together with some of my friends from high school. uh, We grew up in San Antonio, and we were all celebrating our 40th birthday this past year. And they have graciously offered to let me share their stories, saying that they didn't want other people to feel alone in their struggles. And I just thought that was such a gracious gift. Um, so my first friend, she has been called to become a pastor. And she pastors in a small community in South Texas. And she was sharing how God had provided for her, how He had called her in college to take up pastoral ministry, how she'd be able been able to start some beautiful traditions and create a beautiful community. And yet she really struggled with this underlying sense that at some point she might become unworthy are found to be unworthy of her calling. So much so, she had figured out that with her degree in psychology, she could get a backup job as an HR manager at Target if that ever were to come to pass. And it really was grieving to hear that. And then my second friend shared that for 10 years, she had been a preschool teacher in an integrated school for children that had disabilities and children that didn't have disabilities. And because of her husband's job, she had moved to a new community that didn't have such a school. But she had a passion and thought that God had called her to maybe advocate to start that type of school in her current community. But over the last 10 years, life had just happened. You know, she had been helping her family while her husband pursued his career. She had helped one of her children that was really struggling emotionally. And to be honest, I saw how God had already equipped her to help her, her daughter with all of those teaching and parenting skills. And she was also uh, teaching in her children's ministry at our church and teaching parenting classes. And yet, she really struggled with doubt. She struggled with doubt that made her think, well, maybe um, God's not going to fulfill that call that he had placed on my heart. And that doubt was overwhelming at times and had caused her to feel like maybe that wasn't what God had in mind. And maybe I shouldn't look for opportunities for that. Maybe that call was not real. And so after hearing my friend's story, I was doing a little self-reflection too and I was like, "Gosh, well, my callings kind of felt straightforward. you know I, I did the college thing, I went to medical school, got married, had some kids, you know it was just kind of one after the other kind of seemed straightforward, and yet I could look back and reflect on times where I was doing all of these things that I felt that God had genuinely called me to, but I was just like working, working so hard to keep everything afloat and oftentimes that led me to feel like I was so busy that I couldn't actively and daily seek God and seek his purposes in those areas of calling you know prayer who has time for that reading scripture oh gosh like somebody needs a diaper change or something like that or I gotta get to work like I don't have time for that even though that that would have been most life-giving in those times And so while I identified as a follower of Jesus, my attitudes and my actions often denied my trust in him. And I felt myself being burnt out. I was easily angered. I was easily frustrated. And if somebody told me to do one more thing, that was going to be the end. So maybe you can relate to all three of us in these struggles of feeling unworthy, the struggles of situations that cause you to doubt or maybe even times where you're tempted to deny that you even know Jesus. And I was thinking, wow, you know, the disciple Peter faced all three of these in his life and in his walk with Jesus. And as an aside, I love the disciple Peter, probably so much so that I need my third child, Peter. Um, and, I, and I think that of all of the disciples, we have such a vivid image of who he was in his life. You know, he was impulsive. He was, he was ready to run places, like run to the empty tomb. He was ready to jump in the water. And we'll find that story to be off, uh, in our stories today. And he was just like blurting out whatever was on his mind all the time. And yet he was so passionate about how he followed Jesus. Jesus, you are the son of God. Or at the Passover meal, he says, don't just wash my feet, Jesus. Wash my whole body. I need you so much. And yet, I think the power of Peter's story is this, that Jesus' call transformed him from Simon, a small-town fisherman, to Peter, the name that Jesus gave him, to be the rock on which his church was to be built. God took an imperfect person and made him perfectly suited for his call because Jesus' call is perfect. Amen? All right, so without further ado can go to the next slide there. We're gonna jump right in and see three stories about how Peter struggled with calling. So if you think back to Luke five, and um, you can scan there, I'm gonna paraphrase our stories today, but Luke five, we're gonna focus on verses four through 11. We first uh, see Peter and Jesus's first encounter. So in this encounter, Peter is passing by the Sea of Galilee. And he's been teaching some people. And he notices some fishermen who are dragging their boats up on the shore. And they're looking a bit bit bedraggled because they've been fishing all night and caught zero fish. And so Jesus' first words to Peter are this. Hey, um, you should go out in deeper water and, and, and catch some fish. And you can imagine how Peter felt. Excuse me? Aren't you like the carpenter guy from Nazareth, like the teacher guy? And you're telling us professional fishermen how to fish? Just so that you know, professional fishermen know when they've been skunked, as my son would like to say. And so you can, so Peter talks back and he's like, you know, Jesus, like, that's completely illogical. We've been fishing all night. But nevertheless, Peter concedes, you're the boss, Jesus. Because you've told me to, I'll go and, and put down my net. So probably with a sigh and a little eye rolling, Peter drags his boat out again. He puts down the net and lo and behold, so many fish fill the net that are nearly about to break and he has to call over the other fishermen to come and help him. And so what does Peter feel? Completely overwhelmed. He has just firsthand witnessed the presence and the power of God and his unworthiness before it. And he exclaims to Jesus, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter doesn't say, you know, that was a lot. Like, I just need a minute. It's like, you and I, we can't occupy the same space because you are holy and I am so not. It's the same feeling that Isaiah felt when he was called, when he said, I am ruined I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And with my eyes, I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Both Peter and Isaiah are overwhelmed by their unworthiness as they stand before the holiness and glory of God. And now, with full recognition, we at all, at some point in our life, have to come to grips with our unworthiness before God, right? Especially if we are to be uh, to come to Jesus and ask him to be our Lord and our Savior as Romans three ten through 12 says no one is righteous not even one no one understands no one seeks God all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one sounds pretty hopeless right we are completely incapable of answering God's call of following his will, of saying yes to Jesus. But this feeling of unworthiness should prompt us to run towards Jesus and not run away. It should prompt us us to confess our incapability to the Lord and to put our trust in him because that is our only hope for redemption. And so I'm so thankful that the story doesn't end here. Peter's exclamation of unworthiness does not cause Jesus to heed his words and depart from him. But instead, Jesus replies with these familiar words that God often speaks to people who are overwhelmed by his glory. Don't be afraid. And then Jesus calls him and he says, from now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. Something that Peter knows nothing about how to do. So now Peter is overwhelmed by Jesus's mercy and provision, and not so much by his unholiness. And so therefore he leaves his nets full of fish and follows Jesus. I similarly can remember a time in college where I just felt overwhelmed by my unworthiness, my lack of abilities, whether they be studies or with friends or dating or whatever it was. And the Lord, I felt, spoke to me in my heart and said this to me. You know, Ellen, Satan accuses, the Holy Spirit convicts. And what I think he, what God meant to me about that is that Satan's name actually means accuser. He would not want nothing more than for us to sit covered in guilt and shame. But Jesus reminds us in John 16:8 that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and of righteousness and will guide us in truth. So therefore, the Holy Spirit takes us out of those filthy rags and says, if you come to Jesus and come before you, him and confess his, our sins to him, he will surely clothe you in his robes of righteousness. Praise God. And so when you feel that sense of unworthiness in your calling, whether it be at the start, in the middle, or as you continue forward, think about which voice you're listening to. Is it the words of the accuser that you're guilty, you're unworthy, and that make you want to say to the Lord, depart from me, what could you ever have to do with a sinner like me? Or are you listening to the words of the Holy Spirit that convict you that you need Jesus so desperately, and he is there waiting to forgive you and love you and call you so that you would follow him. Remember Jesus' words to Peter, don't be afraid, follow me. But Peter's struggles are not over, so let's go to the second story. We meet Peter again on the Sea of Galilee. Lots of stories around the Sea of Galilee. At this time, in Matthew 14, 24 through 33, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 people, and he sends the disciples off in the boat to go across the sea so that he has time to be with the Father. You see, Jesus has just heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded by Herod. So even though he's just poured out all of his riches and all of his love and the bread of life has fed 5,000 people, also can imagine that his heart is broken and he just needs time to be with the father. But it says this, so he sends them off. And even though the disciples have already seen that Jesus has the authority to command the winds and the waves because he's already calmed the sea when he was on the boat with them, they never would have imagined what was to happen next By this time, the boat was a long way off from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And at the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them walking on the water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said, Don't be afraid. Take heart. It is I. And though Peter hears that familiar voice of Jesus and he hears the familiar words to not be afraid, he thinks, I'm going to need to see a little ID. And so Peter says to Jesus, hey, Lord, if that's really you, can you command me to come out and walk on the water? You can imagine the other disciples like, oh, here we go again. And so Jesus says, sure, come on. And so Peter, seemingly confident, just sets foot on the water and starts walking towards Jesus. And I'm sure the disciples were all amazed. But then the situation gets a little rocky for Peter. You're supposed to laugh. Okay. Um, Peter means rock. Um, But uh, when, when he saw the winds and the waves, he was afraid. And Peter begins to sink in the overwhelming situation. And he cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And then, of course, Jesus right there in front of him immediately takes hold of him and reprimands him. Now, Jesus says this. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, if this were my kid, I'd be like, what fool idea got in your head that you think that you could walk on water? Who do you really think you are? But that's not what Jesus says at all. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then he picks Peter up, they get in the boat, and he and the disciples praise Jesus. And you see, Jesus is not only worthy of praise as the Son of God, because he has the miraculous ability to increase water surface tension so that he and Peter can walk on it, but he is also worthy of praise because he is our rescuer when the doubts overwhelm us. So how does this story apply to our struggle? Sometimes when God first calls us, we can feel very confident that even though we have to walk on water or it feels like that, that we can go with confidence knowing that the Lord has called us and he's going to lead us. But then the situation gets grim. Some of these situations that cause us to doubt our physical and mental illness, maybe of us or the ones that we love, where everything is hard every day. Just getting through our day is hard. How can God use somebody that struggles with physical and mental illness to follow his call? Sometimes it's our caregiving responsibilities, whether it be like our our elderly relatives or our children. They take up all our time and energy and we feel like we have nothing left for our call for Jesus. Sometimes it's failures and struggles. Lord, I thought you called me to do this, but I just find myself incapable 100%. Sometimes it's the long road of training to get to the place of calling. Sometimes it's traumatic situations, whether that be death or financial hardship or war or persecution, that make us change from a mindset of thriving to just surviving. And sometimes these things can happen all at the same time. I feel like it's when God just rips the control band-aid off your life and you feel free-falling. And realize that you have to be completely, 100% dependent upon his grace and love to rescue you. So we start doubting in these moments. Doubting if Jesus is in front calling us and leading us. Doubting his provision even though we know from the past that we've experienced his provision. And we have heard it in the Bible that God can make a way where there is no way. Now, Sometimes these circumstances are actually God's wake-up call. They call us to reflect. They call us to seek the Lord in prayer and in scripture and in fellowship with one another. But they call us to faith, too. And so when the winds and waves of life come up, this story reminds us not to focus on the threats of the situation and focus on our doubts, but doubt our doubts and follow in faith and seek Jesus and not to drown now, sometimes we only have a little bit of faith left, but be like Peter. And if all you can do with that little mustard seed of faith is cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, save me, do it with faith, knowing that he will. And when he does, turn around and give him all the glory and the praise, not because of his ability, but because of his, his steadfast love for you that will rescue you and be with you, even in the most fearsome winds and waves of life. As it says in the the hymn that I love, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, no matter how horrible they may be, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And we have to hold on to that promise. And then lastly, we meet Peter at the end with Jesus. In Matthew 26:30 30 through 35, and then again 69 through75, we meet Jesus and the disciples after the Passover meal. With heavy hearts, they're walking to the garden at the Mount of Olives, where Jesus will eventually be arrested and ultimately handed over to be crucified. And Jesus tells them a foreboding message, "You all will fall away because of me tonight." For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Shocking words to these disciples that left everything to follow the rabbi. Peter's flabbergasted and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now all these bozos, maybe they'll fall away, but not me. You know, I'm I'm the one who said that you are the son of God, remember? And Jesus corrects Peter. Truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me, not once, but three times. So now challenged, Peter ups the stakes, right? He says, even if I must die for you, I will never deny you. And then all the other disciples join in. But it's only a matter of hours before Jesus' prophetic words come true. While Jesus stands silently before the religious leaders that are accusing the Son of God of blasphemy, Peter's out in the courtyard. You can imagine this scene. And there's a little servant girl that comes up to him and starts asking him questions. Hey, you you sound like a Galilean. Your accent gives you away. Hey, I, I saw you with Jesus. Aren't you one of his disciples? And not once, but three times, as Jesus had predicted, Does Peter deny Jesus? And now the next day, Jesus is whipped, he's scorned, he's mocked, and yet he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And I'm sure that Peter heard those words heavy on his heart and probably heard the sound of the rooster's crow resounding in his ears. Now, unlike Peter, we don't have a rooster crow to alert us every time that we are denying Jesus in our lives. But instead, we have to open our hearts and say, Lord, show me. Show me in prayer. Show me in scripture. Show me in the fellowship and accountability of others where I've fallen short and denied you. As Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there is anything grievous in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's a terribly hard prayer to pray and really mean it. But if we don't regularly play that, we become like Peter, so confident that we're going to be faithful no matter what, even if it costs us our life. We can even become judgmental of others and say, I don't know about those guys, but for me, till death do us part, Jesus. And then when the trials so quickly come as they do, our self-righteousness will prove faulty. Often in our own self-defense, one can understand Peter not wanting to get killed too, right? We quickly act in ways that deny Jesus. Now, for many of us, that we think of denial as somebody asks us if we're a follower of Christ, if we're a Christian, and we say no, right? But I think in my life, especially, that that's not what denial looks like. Denying Jesus can look like thinking that I'm the one that's doing the work in my calling, that it's my abilities and my stamina that's getting the job done rather than giving glory to the one who gave me all good things. It can look like looking at my earnings from all this hard work and looking at my family and be like, these are mine, they're for my good purposes, forgetting that these are things that God called me to for his good purposes and for the praise of his glory. Sometimes it can look like going along with something, kind of like what Peter did, because it's good for business. Or we don't want to rock the boat of some of our relationships that are really important to us. And so we go along with things that maybe we wouldn't say we're following Jesus. And so what happens to Peter next? Thank God and thank the good Lord Jesus that He does not leave Peter's guilt unabsolved. In John 21, 4 through 9, we find out the conclusion of this story. After the resurrection, Peter's found back at the beginning, going fishing. And he stands, and then you know what? He stands again at the shore, and Jesus calls out to them: Hey children, have you caught any fish? But again, no fish. And so Jesus calls again for them to cast out their nets, and yet again they're abundantly filled with fish. And it reminds me of where it says in Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, because he can't deny himself. But Jesus has some unfinished business with Peter directly, and so after breakfast, he takes Peter aside and he asks, him a very simple but profound question Peter do you love me and Jesus says well oh yes Lord you know that I love you and Peter repeats that Jesus repeats this question to Peter not once but three times and I think here Jesus is not asking for Peters definition of their emotional status of their relationship He's asking Peter to have his heart be transparent before him, to meet Jesus in the knowing. I can imagine through both of their minds all of these things that have happened between them, all of the struggles of following faithfully, all of these times where Peter's not lived up to what he expected to be as Christ follower. And so he becomes a little grieved by the third time that Jesus asks him, But each time that Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Jesus calls him yet again. And he says, feed my lambs and tend my sheep. And the story reminds me that despite all Peter's failures, Jesus' call for him has not failed. You see, Jesus' ultimate calling for Peter is to love him with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, even though Peter's love for him will be imperfect. And he calls him to tend his sheep. In other words, to love his neighbors as himself, with the same type of love that God has loved him. And this story reminds us finally and completely that our callings must be grounded in the love of Jesus. You see, God's love for us loves us so much that he came to live amongst imperfect, unworthy people like us and even die for us while we were still in our sin. God's love for us proves that he can conquer any situation that causes us to doubt and sink in it. And God's love for us, as Peter later writes, can cover a multitude of sins, even if that sin includes denying Jesus. And throughout Peter's life, he comes to experientially know this amazing and steadfast love that will transform him into the rock on which Jesus will build his church. And so for us, too, I want you to hear today you're going to face struggles in your calling, whether that be the big C calling of following Christ and accepting that he is your Lord and that that call to salvation, or the little C callings where you're trying to figure out how God has uniquely gifted and called you and and understanding the opportunities for which he will have you live into that calling. But hear these words. Do you love me? And even if you can... And knowing that your love is imperfect, answer Jesus, say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And know that God's love will sustain you and hold you fast. And that his love can cover the multitude of our sins. So each day we have to trust in that love for Jesus. We have to go and be with him in prayer, in scripture, in fellowship with one another. We have to encourage one another to remember that love for us. And so that when we're struggling, we'd have to cling fast to the love of God. And so I wanted you to think about that as we go forward and we talk about our individual callings, that we have to abide in that steadfast love of Jesus before we contend his sheep and feed his lambs. And we have to do that as we do those things, too. And so um, maybe you remember a little song. It's really simple from Sunday school, and I wanted you to sing it with me. It says, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Can we sing that together? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Amen.